Father God, thank You for Your grace to us. Truly, every breath that we take, every beat of our heart is a gift from You. Uh, it is You who, has, who gives life. It is You who sustains life. So Father, we ask this morning, in particular, we ask Your comfort upon the Brant family and upon the Ponder family. Lord, be with those folks. Be near and Father, I also think of uh, many who um, are struggling with, um, with cancer. I think of Lena Beattie and um, Don Fisher. I uh, think of um, uh, many others who are, are hurting right now. Uh, Ellie Howard recovering. Um, uh, Sandy Dotson, who is... Uh, has pneumonia and, and uh, has been really suffering this past week. Lord, I know there are more who's, uh, who need, are in need of Your grace, Your healing grace, and so we lift them up before You. Father, we ask this morning that You would work as we are gathered here as Your church, as Your body. I pray that You would work through each one, each part of Your body that's here this morning to accomplish Your purpose in us. Enable each part of the body to minister to the others, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. May we bear one another's burdens and may we be strength and comfort and encouragement to each other. Father, we ask now is that You would work as we come to open Your Word together. Open our ears that we may hear You as You speak to us. Soften our hearts that we might not just hear, but that we would do what You say. Father, we're a needy people. So fill us this morning. Correct us, reprove us, comfort us, heal us, equip us, challenge us, motivate us, and move us out to live for Jesus. We ask these things by Your Spirit that You would do them by Your Spirit and through Your Word and for the glory of our Lord Jesus. It's in His name we ask it. And God's people said, Amen. So if you would, take your Bibles and open to the book of Psalms and the Psalm 55. If you are keeping up with our Scripture readings, if you're following along in the chapel Scripture reading plan, you'll notice that our Psalms that we read today are Psalms 54 and Psalm 55. So I thought for our message this morning, we would just go to Psalm 55. It's a psalm written by David. You'll notice there in the opening lines at the top there, written by David. And I just wonder, what comes to mind? What comes to your mind when you think of David? Most of us have grown up in church. We've heard the stories growing up of David. And uh, I just wonder, I don't know if you do this, but when I hear stories, I always get, I'm very visual, I get visual pictures. Of, and I wonder, what do you think David looks like in your mind? Do you picture maybe, um, you know, Brad Pitt as Achilles? Maybe is that your thing of that's David the warrior? Or maybe do you picture, I know Tim's, Kirk's favorite, uh, Mel Gibson is Braveheart. <laughs> is that how you picture 
David. My favorite, quite frankly, is Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. Absolutely. Because I, I kind of picture, you know, Robin Hood is that guy with the sense of humor. He's kind of playful. And I, I kind of think David's that way. David with his merry men, his band of merry men, as they, uh, anyway. But I don't know what your picture is. What we do know is that the Scripture, as it describes David, as a youth, he was a brave guy. Though he was the youngest and, and probably the smallest of, in his family, you recall that at tending the sheep, he killed a bear with his bare hands. He killed a lion with his bare hands. You recall as his big brothers were off to battle, David was sent on an errand there and he hears the challenge of Goliath and David is likely a, a teenager goes out and with a stone and a sling takes down the Goliath, the giant Goliath. Then he later is drafted into the army and becomes a commander. And, and the popular songs of his day lauded the praises of David as the one who killed tens of thousands of the enemy. David was a valiant warrior, a mighty man who became king. And so when we hear that of David, and when we think of these pictures of who David is, it comes really as quite a surprise when we come to the songbook of Scripture and a number of these psalms are written by David. And as we dig into the content of the psalms, what we discover is a picture of the songwriter that is very different from the picture we grasp from the history of Israel with the warrior king. For example, the psalm before us today. We get a little inkling of it in, even in the opening inscription. And you'll know that in your Bibles, usually when there's a, a little inscription before a paragraph or in the middle of a paragraph, it's not part of the original text. It was put there by translators and publishers, just something to say, you know, this section is about the glory of God. And we know that's what's coming. But that's not in the original text. But in the Psalms, many of these inscriptions were part of the original text. And this is where it says, To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a maskel of David. A maskel is a type of song. It's written by David. But David gives, gives some instructions here to the choir director, to the, to the worship leader, the, the music director at the church. And he says, this needs accompaniment of the stringed instruments. Now, I may be going out on a limb here, but I don't think that what David is looking for when he says this is to be accompanied by strings, I don't think he's looking for a string quartet going... You know, classical music. Two reasons I know that. Number one, they didn't use bowed instruments then. Okay, that's a pretty good clue. The other thing is, I think he's looking for stringed instruments like a guitar, in my opinion, and a, uh, a dobro, and uh, a, probably a bass. He's looking for the instruments of a country song. Say, Pastor, where do you get that? Well, you see, I think that he's looking for the sound of a sad country song. You know the type of country song. The one where the guy loses his wife, he loses his pickup truck, 
and he loses his dog. And he's lying desolate by the side of the road, crying in his root beer. That kind of country song. And I know that as we read these opening verses to the song. That's the type of song that David is writing here. Listen to the first five verses. Follow along as I read. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not Yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. And I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. See, this isn't the picture of the David the victorious warrior that we're used to seeing in the history. This is David curled up in a fetal position in a, having a panic attack and crying out. Warren Wearsby summarized David's sad situation in this psalm with these words. He says, Troubles around him, terrors within him, and treachery next to him. I wonder, what do you do when you have troubles around you? Terrors within you and treachery next to you. What do you do when your world crashes in? When, when everything that you count on falls apart, the supports are knocked out from under you, and you're laying in a fetal position on the ground moaning, what do you do? We're in church. We have church answers. Most things, the answer is Jesus. That didn't work here. What do you do? It's not Jesus. But we pray. It's a good answer. What do you do in a situation like that? Your world is falling apart. It's all caved in. We pray. Well, that's good. But the psalm does better. What David does here, he gives, he gets more specific. And I want us to notice this morning three ways that David calls for you and me to pray. Three calls in this little psalm. The first we'll see here is a call of complaint. We see it already in the first five verses I wrote. It's a call of complaint, or the, the biblical word that you'll see there is lament. To lament, to, to weep, to mourn, to complain. Christopher Wright wrote a book called The God I Do Not Understand. And he, I thought, made a very quotable statement. He noted, first of all, that the Psalms are full of lament. They're full of complaint. Have you read the Psalms? I hope most of you have read through the whole book, but most of you, I'm sure, have at least read some of them. And you spend much time in the book of Psalms and you find out that there's lots of lament. There's quite a bit of what we just heard in these first five verses. God, I need You. Where are You? Why did the wicked prosper? And the righteous suffer? 
What's going on, God? You see that quite a bit in the Psalms, do you not? He says, I find it interesting that the Psalms are full of lament, but the church is not. And then he says this. There is implicit pressure to stifle our real feelings because we are urged by pious merchants of emotional denial that we ought to have faith as though the morning psalmist doesn't. (laughs) So we end up giving external voice to pretend emotions that we do not really feel while hiding the real emotions we are struggling with deep inside. I think he's got something there. Now, I'm not advocating that you and I complain to one another about God and against God and we bicker with God and we, we murmur like the, the Israelites did. Just read their history in the Old Testament and you realize that didn't work well for them. It wasn't a good thing. But what I am saying is that I think that you and I need to be honest with God. And there's a place for honesty with one another. That we need to be honest with God and express our feelings, to express our pain, to speak our hurt, our confusion, our disillusionment at times. Let's be honest. This week I got an email from Brother Alex, our missionary in Indonesia. What a dear brother who's gone back to be among his people to take the gospel in a very difficult place. And he emailed me this week and he said, I am hurting. I'm struggling. It's hard. He is being oppressed. He's being persecuted. He's being challenged. It's difficult. And I thought to myself, how refreshing that he's willing to say, I'm, I'm toast here. I'm hurting. And that he's calling out to us, his supporting church, and he says, pray for me. So will you do that? He's like David here. This week I was at the hospital with the Brants. And as... John is there in a coma and the family is struggling so not knowing what's going to happen. And I remember at one point Deanna said, it's good. She meant God is good. Our relationship is good. I know God is sovereign. But this isn't good. It's good, but this isn't good. You understand how that feels like that? Sometimes you're torn. (laughs) You know what you're supposed to believe, but you're struggling with where you feel and with a situation. That's reality. In these verses that we just read, in these first five verses, just look at how David expressed these feelings. It was feelings of desperation. Verse 1, he says, you know, Give ear to my prayer, O God. The feeling there is, God, you're not listening. The sense is there. Don't hide yourself from me, he says. Because he's feeling that God is hiding himself from him. 
Have you ever felt there? God is so distant. He says, I'm full of restlessness, verse 2. Nervous energy. Some of us are only there when we're, uh, you know, when we're under stress and duress and everything's falling apart and we find ourselves, you know, we just, you, you, you're moving, you, you don't know what to do and you, you just are moving. You try to sleep, you can't sleep because you toss and you turn, your mind is racing, but it's not going anywhere. <laughs> you're restless. Verse 2, he says, he is moaning. Have you been so emotionally distraught that you just can't get words out? You just, or you sigh. Have you been there? Verse 3, he has enemies. They threaten, they oppress, they cause trouble, they hate him. They are out to get him. Have you ever had someone who is intent on destroying you? Most of us don't live there and few of us have had it though occasionally, but all of us know if that happens, that is a horrible feeling. Somebody really wants to do you in. That can be a devastating, depressing thought. David is there. Verse 4, he says he has anguish of heart. He's just emotionally broken, emotionally crushed. He says, verse 4, that the terror of death has come over him. The terror of death. Death seems imminent. Inevitable. This is going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. Verse 5. He says, Fear and trembling have come upon me. Have you been so distraught that literally your hands shake? Your body quivers? That's where David is. Overwhelmed by horror, he says in verse 5. Overwhelmed. You, you, you really don't know what to do. And so you're paralyzed. I don't know. I just don't know. I know some of you have been there with some of these, maybe all of these. Maybe some of you are there today with some of this. So what do you do? The first thing to learn from David is we take that to God. Do like David. Tell God what you feel. He already knows it, so tell Him. Put voice to it. Lay it all out there. David isn't done yet. He keeps going. Verses 6 to 8. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. He says, man, I wish I were a bird. If I were a bird, I could get out of here. I would fly off like a dove and I would find just some little hole in the cliff and I would go in that hole where it's safe. No one can reach me. I wish I were a bird. 
I think he thinks back to his youth when he was a um, when he used to hang out in the wilderness tending the sheep. He says, "I want to just wander away and get lost. Be so far out in the woods in Oregon, nobody can find me." Okay, not the woods of Oregon, but the <laughs> wilderness in Judah. Says, I'd, a matter of fact, he, he ends that with Selah. Take a break. Stop. Think about it. I think that's what he does. He just thinks, oh man, I can remember when I'd be so far out and so quiet and so peaceful. And he starts to think about that for a minute. I would hurry, says verse 8, to find a shelter from the raging wind of the tempest. He just longs for any safe place to be. What he's doing, he just desires to escape. I just want to get away. Have you ever been there? I bet you have. <laughs> Life is just getting so hard, you just think, I just want to run away. Some people do. Not just kids, sometimes adults run away. Sometimes they abandon their families, sometimes they walk out of a marriage. Some people try to escape through alcohol, drugs. Some just shut down emotionally, shut everybody out. Some attempt and even succeed in taking their own life, trying to escape. But generally, you and I know that generally, you can't run away from your problems. It does no good to try to escape in any of those things. They don't work. Most of them make our problems greater, our troubles deeper, our hurt more painful. David longs to escape, but he doesn't. But we're, he's laying out the raw emotions. And you can identify with this. Verses 9-11 to Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. David says, I look at the city around. Man, I'm not, not the only one hurting. These, these people who are causing my problems are stirring up trouble in the city. They're going through the city and around the city and on the city walls and they're, they're stirring up trouble. They're, they are, there's deception and intrigue and there's plots and plotting and they're, and they're, in its wake it's bringing, bringing sin and trouble and ruin and oppression and fraud and strife and violence in the city. In the midst of it, David just wants the problem to go away. And so he does what we often do. David offers God a solution on how he can end this. God, I have an idea. Divide their tongues, he says. God, a simple way to take care of this, these are, these are vicious, malicious people. Turn them on each other. Divide their tongues. So this one attacks that one, and pretty soon they'll get going at it, and they will wipe each other out. Problem solved. You ever try to help God out? God, I'm in a big mess here. The world is crashing down around me. Here's how you can fix it. I don't see anything that says it's wrong for us to do that. 
just understand that typically God won't solve it our way and on our timetable. But we can identify with David's emotions here. He just wants this to go away. He can't fix it. He just wants it to go away. And he's just in a desperate situation. He wants to escape. He wants it to go away. But he's not done yet. It gets worse. He's just laying it all out there. Verses 12-15, to For it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. And it's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it's you. A man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. David's world is crashing around him and it's all because of a person, and it wasn't an enemy, it was his trusted friend, his confidant. The one they brainstormed together to solve each other's dilemmas and they worked together on problems and we were, we were the closest of friends. We went to church together. We sat in the pew next to each other. And it crushes David. That's the greatest hurt here. You see, David's laid it all out. Man, he's in a miserable state. Have you been there? You know, the old country song, speaking of country songs, because they're all sad songs. You know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Have you ever sung that song to yourself? Not those words necessarily, but boy, can we throw good pity parties. David has just laid it out there. God, I am in the midst of a huge pity party. And we could say with good reason. (laughs) That's the first call. A call of complaint. But there's a second call. shows up in verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. David is still calling out his complaints. Did you notice that? He says, I utter my complaints. Verse 17. Three times a day. Morning, noon, and night. And I'm assuming every time in between. (laughs) He's still letting his complaints out there. But did you notice something changed? What's changed? Verse 16. I call to God and the Lord, what's the word there? Will hear me. That's not what he was saying earlier. God, listen to me, listen to me. The implication, he's not listening. You're hiding yourself from me. But now David says, he will hear me. He goes on, verse 17. He hears my voice. Something changed at verse 16. I wonder what changed. Why does David now have confidence? A call of confidence that God is going to hear. What's changed? Verse 18, we keep going. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. 
My companion stretched out his hand against his friend. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Man, the enemy is, his enemies are still there. His situation hasn't changed. It's as bad as ever, but his attitude has changed. And he's moved from total despair to God's going to hear. What changed? It's right there in those verses. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, gets what changed here. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He says this, If I read the text aright, we have here David talking to himself. And what we are to endeavor to do is to talk to ourselves just as David talked to himself. What are you talking about? We, we actually, if you were here last year, a year before, we've talked through Psalms. We've talked about this before. One of the things David does frequently in the Psalms that changes is he begins to talk to himself. He preaches to himself. My mom talks to herself, but uh, it's not what he's talking about here. My mom just kind of talks about little nonsense stuff to herself, and especially now that she has Alzheimer's so bad. That's not what he means. This talking to yourself is deliberate and intentional and what he's speaking is truth. What David is doing is talking to himself and reminding himself about the truth about who God is and what God has said and what God has done. And we see it three things in these few verses I just read. Truth about God that gives David confidence. Let's quickly look at these three things. By the way, something to just notice again, verse 19 he has that little word there, Selah, again. David's been preaching to himself and he takes that, that means pause and reflect. And David reflects on what he's been saying. It changes his attitude. It changes his heart. First thing, verse 18 says, He redeems my soul in safety from the battle. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle. If you're reading the ESV, that's what it reads. But if you read some different translations, NIV, King James Version, New American Standard, all great translations, but you'll find these words translated differently in different ones. ESV, He redeems. Those of you English majors, you grammatical people, what tense is that verb? <laughs> Everybody's afraid to say. Present. Okay. In some other versions, you'll pick it up, you'll read it, and it says, He will redeem my soul from the enemy. What, what tense is that? Future. You pick up a different translation, all great translations and very literal translations, and you know what it'll say? He redeemed. Past. Which one is it? I love those multiple choice questions. A, B, C, or D. All of the above. You see, it's perfect tense. Perfect being, He redeemed my soul from the enemy in the past. And so I have confidence He will redeem me. He will save me, rescue me in the future. And He is in the process of rescuing me even right now while I'm in the midst of the depths of this dark pit. That's what He's saying. Why does He have this confidence? Because God is faithful. That's what David just preached to himself in those few words. 
God is faithful. We can have confidence not only because God is faithful, but verse 19, He says of God, He who is enthroned from of old. Translated, God is on the throne. He's in charge. From of old, He has been in charge from day one. Nobody has dethroned Him yet and nobody ever will. He is in charge yesterday, today, and forever. He is the sovereign God in charge of everything. God is sovereign. And so, I can have confidence that God is in control. Thirdly, again, verse 19 God will give ear and God will humble them. God will listen and God will act. How do I know that? Because, and He doesn't say it directly, but it's here, it's that God is holy. You see, notice why He says God will, will, will hear and God will act. Look at the end of the verse. Because they do not change. There is no repentance. There is no turning for these folks. And they do not fear God. They don't fear God. They won't fear God. They are unrepentant. They are evil. And God, a holy God, will punish that. He will deal with that. And so David has confidence that God will hear and God will act because God will not allow unrepentant evil to go unpunished. As simple as that. And so David's whole outlook has changed because he preached to himself and he said, God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is holy. And that God will hear my prayer. Those are two great things, two great ways that you and I need to call upon the Lord when the world starts to cave around us. But there's one more reality here, one more great truth here that we need to see. Verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. There's a great promise there, but that's not what I was going to call our attention to. It's how are we to call upon the Lord with a casting call? Not a casting call where we're doing auditions for, for uh, a play or a movie but rather a call upon God where when we call upon God, we cast our troubles, we cast our care, we cast our burdens upon Him. It's one thing to know intellectually that God is faithful, that God is sovereign, that God is holy, and therefore we can trust Him. It's one thing to know that intellectually. It's a whole other thing to do it when your close friend, when your spouse, when someone betrays you, when you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness, when you lose a loved one. It's one thing to know it intellectually. It's another thing to call upon the Lord and to cast your burdens upon Him. This word burden is an interesting word. In the original language, in the Hebrew, and I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm so grateful that people are, 
You see, that word is actually literally translated this way. What is given? Let's put it together. Cast your what is given upon the Lord. Huh. See, the implication there is the burden that you have, that trouble that you have, that trial in your life, this period of time in your life where the walls are caving in, isn't a random freak accident. It is given by God. Because God is, read what we said earlier, God is sovereign. He's in control. We can fight that reality. We can disagree with it. We can argue with it. Well, I, don't, I can't believe that God would send this kind of stuff. Or we can say, God says it, I believe it. And if we believe it, if God is holy and righteous and just, and God is loving and gracious and merciful, and if God is our Father because of our relationship in Jesus Christ, then what I can know is, just as Jesus says, you as, as flawed parents know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think God knows how to give good gifts to you? And so I can know that if, if trouble and trial and difficulty, illness, disease, death comes into my life, and it comes from God, He has a purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And we are confident. We know this. That all things work together for the good for those who love God who are called according to His purpose. We see that in the Bible in the lives of people like Job and Joseph and Daniel and dozens of others where the trials came and God used it for good in their life and He used it for good in our lives. And so that Joseph at the end when his brothers come and he said to them, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. How it transforms everything. So Oswald Sanders said it so, so well in his little booklet. Many of you have read it, My Utmost for His Highest. He says it this way, Commit to God that which He hath given thee. Commit to God what He has given you. He understands that translation of this word burden. Continue with his quote. Don't fling it off. In other words, don't try to get rid of it. But put it over onto Him, and here's the key words, and yourself with it. Instead of just trying to get rid of the burden and the trouble and say, I don't deserve this. It's not fair. It's not my... Take that burden and put it on Christ with yourself still attached to it. That's what he says. And the burden is lightened. He goes on, never disassociate yourself from the burden. It's not your job. Take the burden of Jesus. See, that's what we can do when we have a sovereign God who's a loving and gracious God. Forty years ago, same day that Janet and I got married, 
another couple we were friends with down at John Brown University got married on the same day. They were, I was, we were, I was a minister in one church, he was a minister in another church. One week to the day after they got married, they were driving home from the church where he had ministered that day and they were killed in an automobile accident on the way home. On the grave marker that's still there in the cemetery right across the street from school, uh, you can go there and it reads quite a lot. The parents got wordy when they put that tombstone together. But it says a couple of things. It says on that tombstone, there are no accidents, only incidents. God is good. And He makes no mistakes. Dale and Maudie believe that. And they're in glory today. But God makes no mistakes. The burdens come. Let's face it. And there are times they just almost destroy us. What do we do? We call out to God with our complaint, our lament. We call out to God in confidence as we begin to fill our minds and think about and dwell upon who God is, what God has said. We find strength there. And then we cast the burden on the Lord along with ourselves. It's an awful lot like my grandbabies. They'll pick up a pick up a backpack that's bigger than them and try to carry it, and they can't carry it. But Papa comes along and picks up the baby still wearing the backpack. And you know what? They carry the backpack as Papa carries them. And that's what it is. That's what David is saying. That's what David learned. And that's what changed him with this psalm. And that's why we need these psalms of lament in the Scripture. Because it's real life and it's real stuff. And there's folks in our church going through some of that right now. We need to hear it. David ends the song. His situation hasn't changed. His enemies are still out to get him. He's, he's no longer, but he's no longer curled up in a fetal position, paralyzed in despair because he knows the enemies, whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, whether it's disease, whatever it is, he knows the enemy won't win. And he ends with these words, last words of the psalm, but I will trust you. I hope that's the prayer of your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we confess we are people of so little faith and when the trials come, we tend to fold. We tend to grab those burdens instead of casting them on You. We grab them and take them on ourselves and we worry and we fret and we, and we complain and we groan, but we don't complain to You. We don't take it to You and say, Lord, this is how I am. This is what I'm feeling. And then we don't dwell upon what You've said and what Your Word says and who You are and what You do and what You've done and, and what You promise. So Lord, I pray that we'd change. That we'd be honest with You. That we fill our minds with truth rather than just our feelings. And the Lord, that then we would not just have, have the knowledge, but that we would take and act upon that. We would take our burdens, we'd take our situation, and we'd take ourselves and we'd place it in Your arms. And that then we will find, as Paul wrote to the 
Philippians, we will find that peace that surpasses all understanding. That it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank You for Your Word and its truth this morning. May we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, Amen.